Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. Thank you, Annette. And uh, for this week's dose of inspiration, I'm joined by Dr. Tulio Rossi, who not only has an incredibly cool name, but an incredibly cool accent. And uh, very excited to speak with Tulio for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, Tulio is currently in Europe. And, uh, you know, for us uh, in Melbourne and New South Wales, we can just dream of uh, being in different places at the moment. And uh, also, there's a really cool connection between Tulio and uh, the Young Achiever Awards that we also run here at uh, Awards Australia, which we'll get to later on. Um, but before I quickly throw to Tulio, I just did want to uh, let everyone know that uh, the Young Achiever Awards are currently open now across the country in uh, all states of Australia. So if you do know a young person who's doing something pretty great, then I'd encourage you to v- visit youngachieverawards.com and uh, you can take two minutes only of your time to refer someone. And uh, it could be a really cool thing to do for a young person. All right, to today's interview, like I said, it's Dr. Tulio Rossi, who is an award-winning science communicator, marine biologist, and graphic designer. As founder of the science communication agency, Animate Your Science, he helps researchers tell their story to the world. His engaging video animations and eye-catching graphics make science understandable for everyone, reaching millions of people around the world, thereby creating a real-life impact. And Tulio, it's evening for me, but good morning to you. Good evening, everyone. It's great to be here. Tulio, thanks for taking some time. Uh, you know, I won't delve into it too too much, but uh, I, the last time we spoke was very, very early in the morning. And uh, if I didn't know better, I would have thought that you were quite old <laughs> because you had a bit of a croaky voice. I think it was just because you'd just woken up. So I'm glad that we could make yes. a, a good time to chat. Yes, and I'm not a morning person, and I need my espresso because I'm Italian originally. And you know, there's espresso, then half an hour for the espresso to kick in, and then I can talk. <laughs> Fair enough. You, everyone has their own morning routines, don't they? <laughs> I've never understood morning people. I've got to be honest. Takes me a long time me, as well. Me neither. But uh, I came to learn that there is an evolutionary explanation why we have morning people and uh, not morning people and that's because if you live in a tribe you don't want the whole tribe to sleep at the same time if there is a danger outside like a a beast lurking in the shadow you want some people to wake up earlier than others so there's always somebody awake so since i learned that i was like this makes a lot of sense so people like me serve a purpose (laughs) I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, recite that now actually because I haven't heard that before. It's cool. Yeah, there's always an explanation. So Tulio, you were uh, well. We came across you uh, because you were nominated in 2020 for uh, in South Australia and the Community Achievement Awards in the Minister for Skills and Innovation Small Business Award. Uh, and for those who don't know the Minister for Skills and Innovation in Adelaide, his name is Do- um, David Pasoni. Uh, the Honourable David Bassoni, um, Member of Parliament. And there's a really cool story there, Tulio. I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, he himself was a nominee in the Young Achiever Awards in the 1980s. Um, wow. And he became a winner and he was an apprentice. Um, and then all these years later, he's now in government. And uh, he became a sponsor of our sponsor partner of our Young Achiever Awards in South Australia and uh, loved that program so much and wanting to give back to other young apprentices 
when he realized that we had the community achievement awards, he thought, well, let's make everyone uh, have an award that they can, um, you know, be part of something special, not just young people. So the community achievement awards open to all ages. And that was really cool. And that was the category you won last year. That's, so, that's great. I didn't know the backstory. That's really. Yeah. Now, speaking of cool backstories, I think that Animate Your Science, your business, has a really cool backstory. So rather than me try and tell it, I'd love to throw to you and, and find out what it is, uh, how it started. Um, yeah, and give us a bit of that story behind Animate Your Science. Of course. Well, we need to go a while back to the time when I was about to finish high school. That's when I first got into graphic design, thanks to my art teacher who gave me a copy of Photoshop, Adobe Photoshop. Oh, really? And, and I started playing with it, uh, mostly for fun. I like to, you know do photo manipulations and things like that for fun. Then what happened is that one of my best friends organized events. And so back then, you know, before Facebook events were a thing, you know, the flyer was a really important thing to promote an event. So he said, hey, why don't we try to make a flyer? You, you know how to use the software, let's do it. And I said, yeah, awesome, let's do it. And so I made a flyer and then a second one, then a third one. And then I met the guy who was printing those flyers and he said, hey, look, you're pretty decent. Do you want some really poorly paid work? And I said, <laughs> Sure. Uh, I was appealing. 18. I was 18 at the time. And, you know, the, what I was also getting was the free entry in the clubs and yeah. free drinks, which for an 18 year old is better than money. So it was a great deal for me back then. I wouldn't do it now, but back then it was pretty cool. And so I did it for years. And basically, I was a self trained graphic designer. But then my, my bigger and stronger passion was about the ocean. And that's what led me into becoming a marine biologist. And I sort of thought about graphic design as a plan B career. If my science career wouldn't work out, I mm -hmm. could always be a graphic designer. And I thought uh, the two things are separate uh, paths for, for many, many years. And until they met again uh, during my PhD, uh, which was what brought me here to Australia. I did a PhD at the University of Adelaide. Um, and that's when I realized that science really needs uh, design and communication. So science has this massive communication problem. We've got these great stories, but researchers are often not the best people to tell those stories. Mm. They're trained to be researchers. They're not trained to be storytellers. And also they're not trained in visual media. So there's a lot of opportunity to apply these skills uh, of design and storytelling to science. And that's exactly what I did. So I started with my own research. At some point, I finally had my first uh, peer-reviewed paper accepted for publication, which was, of course, very exciting. Uh, but as the excitement faded away, I realized, okay, here we got this 10 pages long peer-reviewed scientific paper is written for experts, really heavy, full of really complicated jargon. Let's be honest, who's going to read this thing? Mm. Maybe a dozen experts out there in my field, and that's it. Uh, that's the reality of most research papers. And for most, nothing is done to tell those stories beyond the academia. The academia. And I wasn't happy with that because my research was about the effect of climate change on fish. So I felt, well, everyone should know. It doesn't matter if you just like to eat fish or to look at them when snorkeling. Uh, the, the results were quite concerning. So I felt that story should have gotten out to a broader audience. And so that pushed me to try new things. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot about storytelling applied to science. And, 
it pushed me to try something new, which was video animation. Uh, I, I'm not an animator. I was never trained as an animator, but I, I tried. I started with the easy stuff, with the, the whiteboard animations. That those are within reach to most people. Even if you're not a designer, you, you can make one of those. The software is actually quite easy to use. And so I, I presented my my research in a way that didn't feel like a lecture that would bore everyone, uh, yeah. but I presented it in a way that felt like a story. And so it, I was telling the story of this baby fish that gets lost in the ocean and adds my Italian accent and the way I say baby fish and people love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I put that video out there without really knowing what to expect. And I submitted it to a few uh, competitions that invited researchers to do exactly this, to tell uh, the story of the research in three minutes using video. Mm, yeah. Uh, and the video won, uh, won wow. three awards in the matter in in one year and blew me away. But the best part is that it reached thousands. So all of all of a sudden, uh, you know, I went from being completely unknown and forgotten in my office uh, at the uni to thousands of people know about what I'm doing all around the world, which blew me away. And I, it really hit me when I got this email from a stranger saying, "I watched your video." Uh, I finally understand what the, what the problem is with this thing called ocean acidification. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Mm, that's really and, cool. And that hit me because I realized, I think up until now, nobody ever told me thank you for doing the research you're doing. And that really uh, highlighted the importance of us researchers uh, doing that extra bit of work to make our research accessible yep. um, and, and understandable to everyone. And, you know, the world is not just made by climate change deniers that will attack you. There are nice people out there that will show signs of gratitude if we researchers do that excellent bit of work to make it more accessible. So it was really rewarding, really a beautiful experience. And really that set the new trajectory of my life because uh, at the same time, my interest in pursuing an academic career faded away and instead I started considering science communication as my new career. And so I started on my own uh, initially as a freelancer, uh, but soon enough I, I got lucky to get into the Think Lab business incubator. Yep. And that's a place for startups. So they taught me to think like a business owner and not like a freelancer. And that was really useful uh, because then since the beginning I, I was in the mindset of building a team. And so I initially got a couple of interns uh, straight out from art school uh, and they, they started helping me do more than I could do on my own. And then eventually we would put some stuff out and then we got our first paying client, which felt amazing. Oh my God, yeah. somebody out there is willing to pay for this. I can't believe it. Uh, and then, you know, things started to fall into place little by little. Uh, of course, the first couple of years were really tough um, because there was you know, very few clients uh, and a lot of time doing nothing in between. But I think it's a necessary phase uh, because then if you stick with it, uh, eventually, if it's a good idea and there is a need, things will, will fall into place. And that's what happened. So now we're, we, we started in 2017. And now I'm very, uh, very lucky to say that uh, we have clients in the whole world. Wow. Uh, on six continents, uh, and we're really growing strongly, and 
team is growing and now we're, we're four full-time people working in the business and a number of uh, freelancers that help us with various things like voiceovers, sound design, etc. That's incredible, uh, Tulio. That's really cool to hear how it's grown and uh, how the weird and wonderful combo of marine biology, science and graphic design have come together. Yeah, look, I, I could I could have never pictured it until it happened. Yep. Yeah. Well, at it, some point, it just makes sense. And you know, when people want to say, one day you'll connect the dots, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> but I could, I could not predict it. You mentioned something uh, just, you know, kind of um, a bit before when you're describing how some people in science and STEM, you know, were not good at um, a storytelling to get their research across mm-hmm. to a wider audience. And I think it's in some ways the exact same, but the inverse where, some people are good with language or good at telling stories, but they're not as good at comprehending stats and, you know, those complex ideas behind science. And so it goes both ways, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and uh, I think that there's a lot of scope with collaboration between mm. the sciences and the arts. I think having someone like you who is able to do both is, uh, is quite unique, I think. Yeah, I'm very much a bridge in between these two worlds that normally rarely interact with each other. Uh, but in my team, I have this rule that, you know, we have two types of people, the, the science communicators, which all have PhDs because they need to be experts in different fields and yep. to understand the science as, as a deep knowledge, at a deep level, as an insider. And then we put them to work side by side with artists that don't need to be expert about science because they have the science communicator there breaking it down for them and making everything understandable. And so the artist can focus on what they're best at, which is to mm. make things look amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. What would a, you know, a typical day for you look like now that it's a bigger team, that it's grown, that you've got clients all over the world? Well, it, it, it changed definitely. Um, now that the team is bigger, a lot of the, my time is spent managing the team yeah. uh, in, in very much remotely because, uh, yeah, I haven't seen my team since May. Uh, so we, we do everything remotely, which with current technology is actually not much of a problem. Uh, and everything we offer is a digital service. Um, so we, we can, you know, deliver and anywhere in the world. We'll, just over Dropbox, which is yeah. really, really easy. That is cool. Um, we, we don't do um, uh, live action filming of any kind. We don't own a single camera. Uh, and so, yeah, we can work with people a- anywhere on this planet. And that that's a big advantage. And so my, my days, it's a lot of um, meeting with clients, uh, hearing what their communication problems are, what, the, what message they're trying to get across. And then my favorite part is very is that process of having that initial chat with the researcher. Usually they dump everything they've got in their head <laughs> on me. And initially yeah. it's like, oh my God, it's like this massive um, spaghetti bowl where you, you don't know where to start. And then my job is uh, to ask the right questions, to tease apart the story. So it starts always messy, but then... Because I know which pieces I need to put together the story. Uh, eventually, we get there, and that's a really fun process to do with the researcher. And it, it's rewarding when, at the end, they say, "Yeah, that's the story. Why didn't I think about it like this before?" Okay, I've got a pretty silly analogy here, which uh, 
just popped into my head as you're describing that process because I did this earlier with my two little kids uh, not long before we started chatting. But it's like a puzzle. When you tip it out of the box, half the pieces yes. are upside down, they're all over here, and there's a big mess. You've got to sort them out, find the corner pieces, line them all yes. up together, and eventually it comes, uh, comes together, picture perfect. Exactly. But um, the thing is that for, for a researcher, it's very useful to have the help of an external person that is not familiar with the specific project. Because in a way, from the outside, we're better positioned at telling that story to somebody that hasn't heard about it before. When you're the researcher, you're immersed in that research on a daily basis, and you lose the bigger picture perspective. Yeah. And I remember this was really obvious uh, years ago when I was teaching uh, graduate students a story of science communication, and one of them said, oh, but... All I do every day uh, is writing code for satellites. Nobody cares. And I'm like, okay, if you say it that way, I agree. <laughs> but let me ask you something. Uh, what, what do those satellites do once they're up in the sky? And maybe they do something useful. Well, I guess if there is funding for your research, they do something useful, right? They wouldn't yeah. pay you to just write code for the sake of writing code. But that's the, the, the difference, you know, when you're the graduate students, everything you do every, all day is writing code. That's the world. That's your world, right? You, you, you kind of forget that you're writing code for a, a bigger purpose, uh, for satellites that will give, I don't know, remote sensing, mapping, GPS, or whatever that might be. And that's when you communicate that story, you, that's where you need to start. You need to start from the bigger picture. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. That makes yeah. sense. I like the way you described that, actually. That was, um, that was good. So you mentioned ThinkLab not long ago, um, and that kind of helped you, you know, switch from a freelancer mindset to a business uh, owner and startup mindset. So um, for those who don't know, can you explain what ThinkLab is and uh, tell us a bit about that? Sure. So ThinkLab uh, is, I think you can call it startup incubator or accelerator. Yep. Uh, they're, they're pretty much mean the same thing. It's a... It's, uh, it's a co-working space uh, where lots of startups working on completely different uh, fields um, share the space, share the office space. And then, the, but there's a lot more beyond, beyond the office space. It, there's a lot of mentoring involved. So ThinkLab will find a group, a very substantial group of, I don't know, 20 plus uh, mentors, each one with expertise in different fields. These are maybe people that have been in business for 30 years, that have funded and sold and funded and sold multiple yeah. businesses. So with a wealth of knowledge, will, these people will sit down with you, startup founder, for free, uh, no, no, nothing, you know, no money exchange involved of any kind, and they will just help you navigate the the waters of being a startup founders which is you know quite treacherous uh oh. so it for me it was really a massive help and probably the mentor that helped me the most was a digital marketer uh in the early days who <laughs> looked at looked at the first version of our website which i made and took it to shreds <laughs> <laughs> but it was useful because it, you know I learned what, what I did wrong and what needed to change. And following his advice and uh, of doing content marketing, which at the time for me was a new concept, uh, now we that's how we get most of our clients is through content marketing and by, by having good Google rankings. 
For example, now when you're somebody in the US searches for science animations on Google, we're number three. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, which is huge. It's huge. And that's how most of our marketing works, essentially. And so I owe that to ThinkLab. I probably would have come across that concept at some point, but uh, not. I was lucky that I came across that concept early. Uh, so I started uh, doing content marketing early on because it's a slow process. And, but once it kicks in, it really kicks in. And it, it's then a very sustainable type of marketing. And are you still involved with ThinkLab or is that um, something that's yeah. Or? Look, uh, I thought that at some point they would tell me, Tulio, it's, it's time for you to move on. But apparently they love us. And so they... <laughs> I love the place. I love the people there. Uh, shout out to Zrinka and the others in the team. They're all great and really always helpful uh, and nice people. So yeah, we're, 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 we love the space. They love us. Uh, so far, there's no pressure to, to move on. And uh, Although we've seen, you know, it's very much, a, it's very different from different startups. You know, some uh, grow super rapidly. Like if you're a tech company, it might be that, you know, in January, you're a team of two. And then by the end of the year, you're a team of 15 uh, because wow. you got, you know, a lot of funding uh, all of a sudden and uh, you need to scale really quickly. Then, of course, those people will outgrow the, the space very rapidly. But we're not a tech company. We're, we offer a service for the most yeah. part. Uh, so it, it's a bit different. Uh, so we grow, but not as fast as a yep. company would. No, I've heard lots of good stories from uh, from ThinkLab. Um, off the top of my head, I'm thinking uh, you may know Sean Greeley. Yeah, of course. And uh, um, Jordan Gruber. They mm-hmm. were, had been uh, Young Achiever Awards uh, alumni as well. Um, and uh, Tom Wellsby, I'm trying to remember if he was part of ThinkLab as well. I can't, maybe not. Uh, rings a bell, yes. But um, yeah, as you said, they've all said the same thing. It's a wonderful community and uh, it's great that things like that exist to, to give people a hand, um, to have sensational yeah. ideas and just help them uh, formulate that into, you know, operational businesses. So it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, no, it's, I think it, it was a support structure that I really needed early on. So it, it, it was really good that I, I could find it and I could access it. Yeah. And so do you have plans to uh, return to Adelaide at some point? Yeah, I was uh, scheduled to return to Adelaide today. Today? <laughs> today, <laughs> yes. Today. Uh, but You're talking to me. But my flight got cancelled. Yeah, so your flight got cancelled. Okay. That's, yeah, uh, I, did, I didn't cancel the flight because uh, I had to talk to you. <laughs> uh, I wish I could say that. But yeah. Uh, no, the flight got cancelled, um, and they said, "Oh, next one available is in January 2022." That's uh, so. I, I expected some delays, uh, but in the order of weeks, not months. Mm. Uh, that really threw me off. Um, that said, it's not the end of the world because, as I said earlier, I can work remotely. I've, I've been doing it. For, for many months, uh, you know, every year, because I'm a dual citizen of Italy and Australia, I, I go back and forth pretty much yearly between Europe and Australia. So uh, I'm used to that. It's not a massive issue, 
but at the same time, uh, you know, looking after the house, the garden, the car, you know, the, the sort of stuff is, it worries me. But one day I had a, I woke up at night thinking about, is my car getting stolen? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, nice. does the garden look like a jungle uh, and that, that sort of stuff um, but you know uh, I knew when I left Australia in, in May that there will be trouble getting back in um, I just didn't expect the delays to be so big and this very much has to do with the, the reduced spots in hotel quarantine that were introduced since the Delta outbreak yeah uh, ho- hopefully that will go back to where it was very soon um, but as of right now really it's a terrible time to try to go back to australia even oh, as it, a citizen is that the main reason that, that the limited hotel quarantine spots yeah that's the that's the bottleneck yeah it's well, not the airlines you know the airlines will be more than happy to take people back is their business right yeah it's the government that tells them today you can disembark only 20 people in adelaide uh so they need to fly uh, an empty flight uh, for the most part and leave whoever else that booked the ticket with them they have to leave them at home so it must be really frustrating if you're an airline to deal with australia right now yeah i think so um yeah, tough times. Uh, sorry to hear that. Hopefully, you're not stranded too much. You've got somewhere to stay. And uh... yeah, yeah, I, I got somewhere to stay. So this, as I said, it's not the end of the world. But uh, I'm sure there's lots of people out there in way worse situations than myself. Yeah, so, yeah I should I should not really complain too much. No, you're not complaining, too, Leo. Um, you know, at the uh, the top of the podcast, I did hint that uh, there was a cool connection, a really nice connection between. Um, yourself the young achiever awards and uh, i guess myself i used to manage the young achiever awards in south australia uh myself um and i loved that that program very dearly and uh i believe that person's there with you and i, I first noticed this person and you potentially had a connection when i was looking um you know before we chat uh, i always look up just double check you know your bio and uh the photos we have the photos of uh, all the people nominating our awards on file and and things like that um, and I was like, hang on, that's uh, Dr. Katarina Richter in a couple of the photos with you. And I'm thinking, um, I wonder how Tulio knows her because she was a finalist in 2016 and 17 in the Young Achiever Awards. And, uh, yeah, she's there with you now. There with me now and we'll get married next year. Wow, that's really cool. So, yeah, I was blown away when you told me that at the start before we uh, hit record. That's really amazing. And uh, congratulations to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Have you got much. concrete plans, or is it too hard just to plan for these things at the moment? No, no, we we, we have plans. Uh, we, I mean, we we're betting on borders being open by next European summer, so next Australian winter, and we will get married in Germany and also have a party in Italy. Um, of course, Caterina is German. I'm Italian. Yes. So yeah. we'll, we'll try to to do it in, in both places and then later probably also a, a little party in Australia, but uh, it's too much to plan right now. So I know. We're just focusing on the German and the Italian one for now. Well, I think that sounds like the best wedding of all time, uh, a party in, in three different countries. And uh, Yeah, we, we love to party. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. No, I'm very happy for you, Tulia. It was really cool to, to hear that connection. Um, and uh, you know, just Katarina, you know, you've got two scientists uh together 
does uh, does she get involved with animate your science at all or is that uh, just completely separate well fu- funnily enough uh, the first time i met katarina was at a very nerdy book launch uh book and launch, yep. in, in our first conversation her you know how switched on with science communication really struck me and initially i thought i need to get this woman involved in my team uh, <laughs> uh you know initially she was uh, waiting to hear back from funding opportunities she was uh, going after and she was a bit unsure about her future so she considered it we talked about it uh, but then eventually she got uh, funding for her research, so she she stayed in the, in academia. Um, but then things took a different turn, and we, we yep. started dating, and, and here's where we are today. What a funny um, story! You're trying to recruit her, and then yeah, <laughs> ended up dating. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that I was trying to recruit her, but I was a very poor startup founder back then. So, uh, I, I couldn't offer much. He wasn't impressed. She was very impressed, no. uh, but luckily, um, she apparently got impressed by uh, something else uh, in me, other than uh, you know the potential job. Yeah, uh, and so here's where we are, and uh, yeah, she's very much involved in in animation science. I call her my brand ambassador. Yep, because. She actually goes around with my business cards. Yeah, she would. Well, I, I know for a fact that she's very passionate about science communication as well. Um, and for those who don't, you know, who aren't familiar with the uh, Adelaide science scene, um, Dr. Katarina Richter, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, she organised many of the uh, um, events in Adelaide about, you know, communicating science. And I think it was like Science at the Pub, if I'm remembering correctly, and uh, yeah, like yeah it was a pint of science pint yeah. of science thank you yeah yeah, yeah. She, she uh until i think last year she was a, the coordinator for south australia and she she did that for many years yeah and she actually invited me to give a presentation there uh was that two years ago more just over two years ago and we had a lot of fun because uh, i gave a presentation about bioluminescence and the, mm-hmm. the, the science of bioluminescence in the ocean and she knew um, a, mar- a microbiologist who had uh, bioluminescent um, bacteria in the lab. So we brought into the room flasks containing bioluminescent bacteria, like wow. living ones. We switched off the light. We put these things in people's hands and we told them, okay, swirl the flask. And the whole thing lit up. Really? It, people were mind blown. It yeah. was the best prop I've ever had in any presentation. It was so much fun. Uh, people were blown away. Absolutely. It was, that would be really cool. It was the coolest. And it's one of my favorite topics. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I became a marine biologist is because I was, I fell in love with this phenomenon of bioluminescence, wow. which I witnessed when I was 15 and I was learning how to scuba dive. I saw bioluminescence while scuba diving uh, back then, and it was like, wow, this is the most incredible thing. It's like swimming in, it's like being in the middle of the Milky Way with the ability of playing with the stars. Around. So you were able to touch it when you're swimming? Yeah, so I mean, couldn't... it's it's tiny plankton you can't even see by oh. naked eye. Uh, but when you agitate the water, it glows. Yeah. 
So it's a bit like microscopic fireflies swimming around. You don't normally see them, but when you agitate the water, they, they lit up and that's when you see them. Uh, it is honestly one of the most magical things nature can offer. Uh, and so it, it's, it's always been a big fascination for me. Uh, I was very happy to give a presentation about it uh, in during the, the Pint of Science Festival. Well, my knowledge of bioluminescence uh, essentially extends to the movie Moana. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. When uh, yeah, she uses yeah. it to distract the uh, the giant crab. So <laughs> apologies. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's okay. But I think my first time seeing it was in the movie The Beach with uh, DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. There's a scene where Leonardo DiCaprio and the other the female character, they kiss underwater. And there's all this light uh, glowing around them, and that's bioluminescence. So, are you into um, scuba diving and snorkeling and, and that kind of thing? Oh, very much so. Uh, I'm a half fish. Ah, and where where are the yeah. best places that, that you've been personally to to dive or um, explore underwater? Oh, there, there's many um, for different reasons. Um, well, Australia has amazing places, first of all. This is one of the reasons why I love Australia is that the ocean is stunning. Uh, not only the Great Barrier Reef, which uh, was my first ever tropical coral reef uh, to experience, which was you know li- life-changing experience. Uh, when was that? Probably 12, 14, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, so I was lucky to see it before it started to get badly damaged by yeah. hurricanes, starfish, and coral bleaching, and so on. So I saw it when it was uh, absolutely stunning. Uh, yeah, it was amazing, 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 amazing. But also the Southern Reef, which gets way more uh, attention. You know, the, the Great Southern Reef, which goes from WA all the way to New South Wales, mm. uh, it, it is amazing. Uh, the, you know, when I'm in Adelaide, there's so many different places where to do scuba diving and is no less uh, exciting. It might, it might not be as colorful as a coral reef, but it is nonetheless very, very, very beautiful. And once you learn to appreciate it and you know, understand the differences between a temperate climate and a tropical climate, um, other places that stand out in my experience, well, the west coast of Mexico, uh, because I found myself in between nine whale sharks. Wow. You know, a whale shark is like the size of a bus. So nine imagine, of them. Nine of them, because there was a plankton bloom, so they were all feeding, uh, feasting on this plankton. And uh, yeah, there were nine of them in the same spot, and we just jumped in the water. At some point, I had one on my left, one on my right, and I thought, <laughs> hmm, I can get sandwiched between the giants. <laughs> but the reality is that they're very gentle creature. So the sharks and all fish, they have a perception of what's around them. They, they don't need to see yep. what's behind them. They feel it. They can tell. They have a, a special... Uh, cells on the skin that uh, measure pressure in the water and so they can feel if there's something next to them and so that they don't hit that thing and so it was actually quite amazing to see how you know even being you know just a meter distant from this massive thing they never touched me you know even by accident 
they're really mm-hmm. gentle giants. Um, and another highlight probably was the, the Maldives in the Indian Ocean. Uh, lots of sharks there. I remember a very thrilling night dive with uh, sharks out hunting in the reef and uh, there was so much action and it was, yeah, very, very exciting. Now you say thrilling, that sounds absolutely terrifying to me, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, once you get to learn sharks, you understand that they're not all the same. There are hundreds and hundreds of species of sharks in the world and there's only a handful that are dangerous to humans. For example, when you're on the Great Barrier Reef, for the most part, you see uh, white tip sharks and reef sharks, and those are harmless, really. They, they never bother divers. And so that, that's also what was there in the, in the Maldives. So yeah. I knew that I, I didn't have to fear these, these sharks, that they just mind their own business. And in South Australia, it's a bit di- different. Um, when I'm out diving or snorkeling, uh, sometimes I get the thought of, meeting a white pointer and it, 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 it sends a shiver down my back. Uh, but, but then I tell myself, ah, oh, but what are the chances? So slim. Uh, so keep going, keep swimming. Yeah. No, fair enough. You got to enjoy yourself. Yeah. No, I, I love my, my passion for the ocean is bigger than my fear for sharks. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. So, so I, I, I still do it. And, you know, I understand that, you know, these animals, even the, the white pointers, it's not that they're not man eaters. They, they have a really bad rep. Most of the time, even when there's an encounter between a man and one of these sharks, the shark just passes by, ignores the person, and that's it. Nothing happens. You have to be super unlucky for the shark to mistake you for food. Uh, so usually what happens is that the shark will have a, a test bite to understand what this thing is. And usually then the shark leaves. But the problem is that this test bite is often enough to, you know, chop your leg off. Uh, it's a pretty uh, hectic <laughs> test bite. Yeah. So it, it, if you pay attention, there are no instances of sharks uh, eating humans. That they just bite and then leave, but it's often the bite that is dangerous enough to then cause problems. Uh, so they're not man eaters in, in any way. Yeah, there you go. I never very, very like that. See, this is why we need science communicators. I agree. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of uh, of science communication and the importance of it, um, you know, does it kind of uh, I don't know how to ask this question the the right way, but uh, I'll ask it, and uh, you can. I'm sure you'll make it more eloquent, but does it kind of drive you a little bit bonkers if uh, that better, you know, phrase than that when uh, people are spreading information on social media um, or even at the pub, wherever it is, about climate, uh, you know, and conspiracy theories and that kind of stuff. And uh, when you think well, the information's out there, it just needs to be communicated better to the general punter. Yeah, so you, you open a massive can of worm. Uh, uh, so, yes, it drives me crazy when I meet, uh, for example, uh, climate change in the is that tries to convince me that it's all a hoax and that the, the, we're not the cause of climate change, blah, blah, blah. It drives me crazy, but um, I also understand that 
even if you know the the instinct would be oh we, we need to show them the real the science-based information and throw facts at them as a communicator i also know that that doesn't work yeah when you have somebody entrenched in a position uh for example uh anti-vaxxer which is you know current day topic uh, during the corona out, uh, pandemic when somebody is entrenched in that position if you throw at them uh, graphs and evidence and scientific paper it, it just bounces back it, it doesn't stick so a much more uh, personalized and complicated approach is needed So you need to, for example, as a first step is to actually listen to this person uh, and understand what thought process brought them where they are. So what is the thing that made them uh, not trust science? Well, yeah. What is it? Was it a Facebook post or was it, was it something that happened to their friend or You know, there's always a story behind it or why people lost trust in the institutions and, and science. And then from there, once you understand how they got there and understand what they value, and then you need to work on their values and trying to bring them back uh, through that. So an example, let's say you have um, an entrenched, um, let's say a right-wing Uh, climate change denier saying uh, dealing with climate change uh, is expensive. Uh, it's not worth it. What do these people value? Maybe they value free market. That, that's the, you know, the thing for them. The, you know, everything has to be free market. Uh, regulations are evil. Well, then maybe that's the starting point for the conversation. And maybe it's about, you know, but if we do this now, it will cost X. Um, and we were still in time to actually avoid the worst of climate change. Uh, while if we wait and do nothing, in 20 years, it will cost 10 times as much. Mm. Uh, so understand free market, but at the same time, free market, you know, sometimes needs a little nudge and, you know, some checks and, and back you know, in place to, you know, to do the right thing. So, yeah, it, it's a, it's complicated. Uh, dealing with, with uh, situations like climate change denial or anti-vaxxers is complicated. It can be done, but it is not as easy as we would like it to be. Or, oh, let's just throw more facts at them. Yeah. It actually is not that easy. No, it's a good point. And, uh, you know, it's kind of reminds me of what you said earlier about content marketing, and your business, um, you can't, you know, you're putting out lots of different content, I imagine, not just the one content for the one type of uh, target audience. Just as you said, it's complicated to um, communicate with people and you need to get to their level, what are their problems, what are their uh, pain points. And uh, it sounds like you're a very rational guy. You uh, approach your business and the way you communicate with people in the same way, which is uh, awesome. Appreciate that. So Tulio, what's uh, what's next? You know, for you, I know you're you're going to get married uh, next year, which is very cool, and uh, um, you know that's that's one thing. Heading back uh, to Adelaide, and then back overseas to get married. But what's next? You know, maybe for animate your science and you uh, professionally. Definitely. So 
up until now, for the most part, Animatrix Science has been a service provider. So let's say a researcher comes to us, they've done this research, and they hire us to create an animation that explains that research in two minutes. That's been most of our business uh, until now. But I also realized that there's also need uh, of teaching skills uh, because you know we want to help all researchers, not just professors. We also want to help the graduate students. Yep. Graduate students uh, are more cash poor and time rich. So it makes more sense that we teach them a skills that they have for the rest of their career rather than we do it for them. So for years, I've been teaching science communication here and there, a few workshops, uh, but it was more on the side. Um, now I want to scale that part of the business up. And we started doing that during Corona, we, where I actually finally got decided myself to sit down and record my first ever online course. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's not a you know, live presentation. It's all pre-recorded. And my first one teaches uh, researchers how to make scientific posters. The thing with scientific posters is that every researcher needs to do them at some point in, the, in their career, usually during the PhD. Nobody teaches them how to do them. Is that uh, right? And, and the result is that for the most part, they look absolutely terrible <laughs> because they are like they come across as walls of text. Yeah, I've seen some I, through the awards nominations over the years, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so for the most part, they're, they're really bad, and so one of my personal battles in this life is to improve the way scientific posters are made. Yeah, uh, because they're really as they are right now. They don't work. They put people off rather than starting a conversation. But the real purpose of a scientific poster is to start a conversation. It's a networking tool. When you think about conferences, poster sessions are a place of exchange of information, of meeting new people, of networking. If you have a wall of text, people want it's like oh that's. <laughs> Way, way too much. Right now, I just want to relax and drink a glass of wine. It's the end of the day. I've been listening to boring presentations all day. I don't want to do more work. So we need to rethink posters in a way that they don't put people off. They actually attract people and start those conversations. So that, that's one of the things I teach. And I started, I, you know, from a, a live uh, workshop, I turned it into this online course, which is now starting to gain uh, momentum. And just recently, uh, I got into an agreement with uh, the University of Adelaide, where they offered this course to all graduate students. Wow. So at the, mo at the moment, we've got about 70 plus uh, new students from Adelaide Uni uh, that, that are going through the course. Uh, and yeah, the feedback is coming back really, really positive. Uh, but ideally, I want to offer this to more universities. And, you know, it, it can be a, also a global thing because big advantage of science that it's all in English. English is the language of science, so there are almost no language barriers. So I never I never knew that. So conferences in uh, in various countries, they have their conferences largely in English, do they? Yes. I, uh, yes. Uh, the only exemptions to that rule is China and Russia. They tend to have their own science ecosystems yep. uh, in their respective languages. Everything else is in English. 
Wow, there you go. I, I never knew that. That's amazing. Yeah, so that that's a big advantage for for somebody for a business like us because we can you know work with people globally uh, without having a team that speaks in Spanish and German and, and so on. Yeah. So the, the the average scientist globally can speak English mm. and can write write in English. Yeah. It, it it is pretty much a requirement if you want like to you- be a scientist. Sounds like there's some very uh, exciting things on the horizon there with uh, personally and professionally. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's been so opening this chat just to, to learn a lot more about it. Um, and I, ho- I hope a lot of our listeners have, uh, have learned some things about it as well. Is there, you know, one question I, w- I like saving for last is, uh, you know, it's the Inspiration of Australians podcast. Um, I think what you're doing um, through your business is, is quite inspirational. But uh, what is it that inspires you, Tulio? inspires me well um what i find the most uh yeah inspiring and rewarding is really empowering researchers to have an impact to realize the full potential impact because the same way i felt during my phd i felt the, the full potential impact of my research was trapped was on on a leash so what i want to do is to unleash that impact uh by teaching them the skills they need to have or uh, doing it for them uh, in case of videos and graphics. Uh, but it's, it's about unleashing that impact so that that research can really flourish and change the world. That's fantastic. Well, uh, to any young researchers out there, make sure you uh, put a nomination to the Young Achiever Awards and uh, do Tulio's course and you'll be set. <laughs> Thank you for the plug, Josh. Tulio, people want to, um, if they want to, you know, connect with you and animate your science, where would you uh, direct them to go? Yeah, so they can just hold, go on Google and search for animate your science. We come up as number one. Uh, uh, otherwise, our URL is uh, animateyour.science. There's no .com. Yeah. We've got the dot, dot .science domain. So animateyour.science is our website. And there they can find everything from the courses to the services to the blog, which is 100% for free. Awesome. Uh, so everything on our uh, blog is free and it, it's not, you know, quick blogs. They're, they're deep. They go deep and they teach skills. So I got several people saying, oh, only by reading your blogs on poster design, I was able to change the way I do posters and I won a prize. Thank you so much. It happened awesome. multiple times. That's, so, that's, even if you just consume our blog uh, for free, I would be happy. Yep. Well, uh, yeah, I feel like you're really backing your backing up your words of wanting to change, you know, posters and help people communicate by uh, putting out that free content. That's really cool. Tulio, thanks for your time this morning. Appreciate you uh, taking um, some time out of your day. Um, I hope you got time for some more espressos now. At us later. <laughs> yeah, in the morning. I try to limit myself to two a day. They're pretty strong, right? So, you know, I found that if I had three or four per day, it was, was not so good. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I scaled back to two, one in the morning, one after lunch. And, and that's, that's, that's well, my struggle that's too. That's optimal. That's my struggle too. I'm uh, working from home. So I'm home all day, every day. And uh, lockdown is nowhere to go. And I just love making coffee. Like I just, uh, the actual making it, I, I love as much as the, the taste. 
So I found myself recently making my fourth copy of the day going, I don't actually want this copy. <laughs> I've made it. <laughs> a bit of a problem. Yeah, I feel, I feel the struggle. But it's a uh, caffeine, depending on, on, on the person, can be really powerful. And I realized that if the more coffee I had, the more tired I ended up being. And it was like a spiral downward. So the, the time periods where I was drinking four coffees a day were the periods where I was the most tired to the point where people were looking at me and telling me, Tulu, you look tired. Oh. <laughs> now that I have two coffees a day, I feel so much better. So yeah, it, it, cutting down on coffee can be good also for, for your productivity and overall there you go. It's the, the last uh, pro tip from Tulio for the for the day. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, uh, said, by, it. said by Italian, and then Italian, and usually, you know, we drink a lot of coffee. You know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Tulio. Really appreciate it. Say hi to Katerina for me as well, and uh, we'll have to reach out to her. And if you're going to be, uh, you know, stranded for lack of a better word uh, for a little while, then maybe uh, we'll, we'll reach out and, and get Katerina on the podcast as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll let her know. Thank you so much, Josh. It was really fun to be on this chat with you. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com slash podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run head to our website, awardsaustralia.com for more details. Until next week, stay safe. And remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.